0: Hi, everybody. My name is Jared Milrad. I'm the founder of Movie Karma. We're a nonprofit here in Los Angeles that created our podcast, Rewriting Hollywood, to spotlight issues of inclusion, equity, diversity, as well as social impact in storytelling. Uh, and today I have a couple of really incredible guests from a small indie, uh, you know, low budget film you may have heard of. Um, they're co-writers uh, of the new film Eternals. Uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe film, which I had a chance to check out. It's really excited to talk to them about the project as well as the social impact uh, and sort of inclusion elements of Eternals. Uh, and our guests today, Kaz and Ryan Fierpo, they've had a really interesting journey uh, in their own right, uh, being directors and writers and, and collaborators. So, really excited to talk to them about everything uh, the film and, and much, much more. So, Kaz, Ryan, really excited to have you on. Thanks for jumping on the show. Jared, thank you. We're
1: really glad to be here. Yeah, thank you very
0: much. Yeah, absolutely glad to have you both on. So let's dive right in. Um, we saw you, both of you from the Bay Area, uh, your cousins. Uh, you wrote Eternals uh, in collaboration with uh, Patrick Berlet, uh director of Chloe Zhao. Uh, pretty incredible team you're part of there. which I'm curious to hear about. Let's talk a little bit, if we could, uh, about your, your 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 journey here, which I know is um, you know sometimes. I'm sure folks hearing about your story may think, well, it, you know, it just must've, you know, it's a kind of overnight success, but obviously I've been working at this craft for a long time. Um, your first screenplay, Ruin, Topped the Blacklist, has um, had Jer- uh, Justin Curzell attached to to direct. Um, and I understand you both have studied and worked in, in writing for many, many years in, in, in film in various ways. So let's talk a little about that journey and what that was like before you got this, this, this great opportunity. Uh, Kaz, you want to kick us off and tell us a little about, you know, your journey as a filmmaker and as a writer?
1: Absolutely. You know, that's a great saying, like overnight success story, you know, for us, this has really been a 10-year overnight success. I think you'd find that's true of most people who find themselves in Hollywood, you know, there isn't some set path. There's not like a door or an internship you get and then like, okay, you're a Hollywood writer now. Like these things don't just like, there's no traditional way. And so that's sort of one of the Gifts and strange things about making movies is that you can find yourself here in a lot of different ways. That's that's sort of a dream I have. I want to start a podcast called How I Got Here, which is really just finding and collecting those very strange stories. Ours is particularly strange in Hollywood. Ron and I are cousins. We didn't have that, you know, uncle we could call to get you know that first Hollywood meeting. We really didn't have agents or managers when we started this journey. Um, it really was just about doing good work and having that door open for, you know, be ready to step through the door when it opened. Um, me personally, I really went to traditional film school route. I always knew I wanted to make movies. I went to NYU film school stumbled into commercial directing out of film school, which I was very grateful for, gave me a chance to like hone my craft, travel the world, and during that time to really pivot into making like meaningful documentaries that I was passionate about. You know, I think that human stories is sort of the big overarching focus of my career as an artist, you know, systems of power, why things are the way they are in this world. And so I made a series of documentaries, traveling the world. And during that time period, and just for a little more specificity, I was shooting essentially about human migration, you know, in in the the Lebanese-Syrian border, in Greece, the refugee camps in Central America with asylum seekers from South Central America and the Central American Northern Triangle. And i was really just fascinated in sort of the shape uh, of the modern world and, and sort of you know how these people and how we had found ourselves here and during this time i asked the best writer i knew who i also happened to be related to to basically write a movie with me and i said like let's tell a story that we can go and uh, make make ourselves you know and then stop just being people who want to make a movie and actually just go and make one And that was really, that sort of audacity was a big part of this process of just getting us into this town. Um, That script, we wrote it, I'm really proud of it. It's I still think one of the best things we've ever written. Uh, And it was really for me to direct, Ryan to produce, for us to bring to this town. And through a very tenuous Hollywood connection, a friend's sister's fiance that I met on the island of Jamaica, this is a true story, uh, introduced us to our manager, Sam Warren and Harry Langsfield. They really changed our lives. And that is sort of how the door opened to Hollywood. It's how we found ourselves here. And that script, as you said, Marco Roby attached a star in it. It found its way on the blacklist. And really more importantly, uh, it found its way to make more the producer uh, of Eternals over at Marvel Studios.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating how these kind of connections sometimes can, can come in unexpected ways. Uh, Ryan, could you expand a little bit on, on what your, your part of this story was? Because I saw it took you, you said about yeah. 15 years, over 30 scripts to find a movie made. And that's a yeah. common journey, right, for a lot of writers. And sometimes, as you said, even, even yeah. longer. What was that like
2: for you? Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So my story, you know, I was basically like a, a skate rat. You know, I loved skateboarding uh, when I was a teenager. And, uh, and so I, I watched a lot of skate videos. And at that time, Spike Jones was making a bunch of skate videos for a Girl skateboards, and chocolate. Um, and so I, I, just, I just fell in love with those. And I, at some point, I started to really uh, appreciate the filmmaking aspect. Uh, even more than the skateboarding, and that was also a time when kind of like DV cameras were coming out, and there was you know IMAX and um, IMovie and all that stuff. And so I started making like short films with just my friends, and it was basically like the most fun I've ever had, and even to this to this day, probably some of the best times I've ever had were making those movies. And I think like really that's a lot of this is about chasing that dragon and try to recapture that that feeling that we had just making making movies in the backyard. But anyway, um, and so that, that kind of just turned me on to filmmaking and I just knew then that this is what I wanted to do. And so I, I did go to film school as well, but I only went for one semester and kind of realized that it wasn't really for me. And then, uh, so I dropped out and then with next semester's tuition money, which was about five grand, I made a feature film, just like a TV, uh Dogma 95 inspired uh, uh, film that was also like inspired by a lot of my friends growing up in my hometown. And that really became my film school. Um, and it was, a, it was a really great process. And so I was really attracted to more uh, independent filmmakers, like Jim Jarmusch, for example, was a real uh, uh, big influence. And so I was kind of like, how did he make his movies? And I discovered, oh, he found this like group of in- investors in Germany that basically financed all his movies for a certain- up to a certain point. And so I was like, okay, well, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to find people with money. And I'm going to convince them that I'm an artist and then they're just going to give me money and I'll make movies. And so, so I, you know, my early 20s, I was also playing a lot of poker and um, and going to like casinos and playing like uh, and being around all these like sort of seedy elements, which I was always kind of fascinated by this subculture. And then through that, I discovered the, the world of online poker. And there were all these like kids who were like 18, 19 years old who were making like a million dollars a month playing online poker. And my first thought was like, oh my god, this is the greatest end have resource of independent film financing. So I decided like I'm going to basically penetrate this this community. I'm gonna be I'm gonna befriend them, and they're gonna be my uh, my German investors basically. <laughs> and so uh, and so anyway, that that period took about like two or three years of just kind of meeting different people and kind of working up the, the ranks and making like genuine friendships too. Um, and then that ultimately led to uh, us making a feature-length documentary about the rise and fall of online poker. And it was a totally independent uh, film that was made entirely with poker winnings. A bunch of poker pros just put together a budget and they just said, there was no oversight. They just said, here's your money, just go do your thing. And so I made this film over the course of uh, about three years called Bet, Race, Bold. Um, And, uh, you know, I, I produced directed and edited the movie and so if I thought the first feature that I made was a film school I mean this was like this was just like a master class you know like because to to edit documentaries you just learn a ton about story because you just have like hours and hours of footage and you have to figure out how do I make this coherent and and you have so many different options and so uh, so anyway that was that was really my first experience making a movie that was then released to the world and had strangers watching it and so it was very valuable. And that was around the same time. After that came out, that Kaz approached me about uh, writing Ruin, and, and you know, and then we wrote Ruin shortly after that, and um, and then the rest is history.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating. And then and then that poker was kind of a way, a way in. Uh, really, really, yeah. there really, are so many different doors right into the industry from all these different surprising places. Uh, I want to hear more, a little bit, a little bit more, Cass, about uh, your journey and specific to some of the projects you alluded to, which are obviously very social impact focus. Uh, as, you, as you mentioned, you worked on front lines of the Syrian refugee crisis. Um, you've collaborated with organizations like UNICEF and WWF, Peace Direct, amongst others. Um, and you've you know done work in places like Jamaica and Mexico, uh, including on the project you mentioned called Shelter. Um, w- w- why are those projects, you know, drawing you? W- what sort of attract you to those types of very uh, human, you know, social impact, social issue uh, focused projects?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think there's no question that as artists, period, you know, you have a, you have a responsibility to the world around you, you know, you don't exist in a vacuum, but most importantly, what I would kind of say is you, you don't need permission to make a difference. You know, I think a lot of people, are sitting uh and looking at all these problems in the world and going like man and they're feeling it you know i think we're all empaths we're all sitting here and going this is all these tragedies that are happening all around us and there's a lot of ways that we can deal with that we can tune it out we can ignore it we can donate our time our energy our money whatever it is and for me i just thought the most the best way that i can be useful is to tell a story you know that if this story affects 10 people, then I've exponentially increased my ability to be useful to the world. Um, I've always been interested in the stories around me. I think that that is how you become a more, it's not about being better, but it's how you become a more complete human being is to see all the different aspects of the world and understand, you know, how things got to be the way they are and understand the context of that For me especially I was shooting a commercial on a beach in Hawaii for an airline and I remember being and this is in 2015 at the height of the refugee crisis and I remember just thinking like this is not why I tell stories. You know, it wasn't to shoot the close-ups of credit cards, although there's nothing wrong with that industry. It's just, you know, it's one aspect of the industry. And I remember taking my editor, my cinematographer, my producer who I knew had just done this commercial. And I said like, let's go tell a story that we are really passionate about. Tell something, you know, a story that matters basically. And we ball all bought Flights to Greece and it sort of began this journey that I still to this day continues, you know, where we are trying to be useful as artists and as storytellers and to sort of amplify what we feel are these important stories that are happening all over the world. They're happening all around us all the time. Um, It's a longstanding tradition, I think, of social impact documentaries, but especially now with the internet with short form, with being able to tap into something quickly and tell a story succinctly, you have a way of um, making a quick difference. And I think that was, for me, something very important. It was never to chase headlines, but, you know, and if you watch Refugees, which is a film I'm tremendously proud of, what that film is really about is taking it as headline refugees right and making it into saying these are people you know if you could make talk to them as individuals why did you leave your home what do you hope to find where you're going i mean that was a simple question we set out to answer with that documentary it wasn't saying like you know we have a bunch of you know uh, uh bodies streaming across the borders like no each one of these is a mother a father a son a daughter you know they, they have things, something they want you know and they and they're looking for a better life and so that was really the mission. It was just something that I've always felt drawn to do. And usually, you know, pre-pandemic, it was something we tried to do at least one film sort of about this, about the world around us that mattered, you know, every year amongst telling huge intergalactic space epics like The Eternals and and Powerful Revenge dramas was like Ruin and and selling scripts to Netflix about, you know, two brothers smuggling the world's first android through Brazil. But in that, you know, a lot of these... These documentaries, these real stories, they colored and formed and sort of developed. And certainly, like they gave life to these fit, fantastical fictional stories that we were telling. I worked as an archaeological, as a, a classics minor, I studied classics in school, and I worked in an archaeological dig in Egypt uh, my senior year of college for four months. I was in you know, the Dakla oasis. We went to Siwa, Alexandria, all the way down to Aswan on the Sudanese border. And in that, so much of that found its way you know, into eternal, so much of that flavor, that, that world, that storytelling. You know, and I think that, that if you want to be uh, a more well-rounded person, but certainly a more well-rounded storyteller, you know, it's that advice you always hear in film school, but it, it, it's just, I found it to be tremendously true. You know, if you want to tell interesting, powerful, and true stories, you need to live a life that has seen you know, all the shades of, of humanity, the good, the bad, and also the beautiful.
0: Yeah, and how, that, how that, those journeys infuse into your art. We definitely see that in Eternals, which I want to get to in a minute. Uh, Ryan, related to that point and related to actually to Eternals, how do you think about your responsibility, your social responsibility when it comes to filmmaking, whether that's the issues you're tackling on a big budget like Eternals or on smaller projects like the, the projects that Kaz just
2: mentioned? Uh, I mean, the film is obviously uh, the most powerful medium that we've seen. It's incredibly influential. It's It can be utilized uh, as a propaganda tool for good and for bad. Um, and so I don't know if that's what initially attracted me to it. But as I got older and became more socially aware and, and traveled more, then it's definitely something that um, became uh, a more important part of my approach because just it is it. I've always injected myself into every project that I do. And so as I became a more uh, socially conscious person, that found its way into, into my work. And then in more recent years, I would say I'm now a father, you know, I have a daughter who's um, was six and my son is two and just seeing them, um, and thinking about what their future is going to be and, and and seeing also like how they are. So, um, uh, malleable and shapeable by by the, the things that they take in through media and uh, in combination with the things that that I'm telling them, um, it it becomes important uh, for me to both uh, raise them properly and 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 give them good advice, but also in my work to to reflect what I what I preach at home, you know. So so I've, as I've, as I've become a father, it's become more important to me to to be to be aware of how my work can, can shape future generations. Yeah, and I love that
0: you're thinking, there's that great, you know, uh, Native American quote about thinking seven generations ahead, and and yeah. you know, how, you know, particularly when it comes to how we impact our, our planet, but also, of course, the stories we tell, the things we do. Um, let's talk about that in terms of Eternals, which obviously spans, you know, huge amounts of time and space, um, which I'm sure isn't, was not an easy feat to, to pull together, but also has a lot of uh, you know, inclusion aspects to it from the casting to, to the stories that you're you're sharing with us. Um, Kaz, can you talk a little bit about that journey in terms of, okay, you, and I understand Nate more at Marvel was instrumental in this in terms of building these these worlds and maybe thinking differently about some of the characters and who they would be and what their identities would be. What were those early conversations like as you were you know thinking through this project and, and started to think, okay, maybe we can do something a little bit different here in terms of representation and inclusion?
1: Yeah, we wanted to make a movie ultimately that reflected the real world. You know, the real world is a very diverse place. You walk down the street, you're gonna see people from all over the world that look different, that love differently. And that was something that was from the beginning, a core part of Eternals. It wasn't a gimmick. It wasn't something that we're like, boy, we really have to keep up with the times. I mean, we started writing this movie three, four years ago, you know, it was really something that we felt was important to bring to this world, to bring to bring to this world, the cinematic universe, you know, and, and I think that that was something we knew right away that this is going to have characters that looked like the world that reflected the, uni- the whole planet, you know, and I think the Eternals really are, they're about the human race, you know, it's not just, they're not American superheroes, they're not, uh, you know, African superheroes, they're intergalactic superheroes. And so they came here and they represent all those different things that make us you know, different, but I think ultimately all the things that make us special. You know, I'm half Japanese, I'm half French. I was raised by two women in the San Francisco Bay Area and, and Ryan and I grew up in the Bay, which is an incredibly diverse place. You know, it's a place that's so diverse, it's almost like you don't have that conversation. You know, we I grew up in, Ryan grew up in the East Bay. I was in San Francisco until, you know, I moved out into the deep woods in, in the North Bay. And it was just something where you got to see you know, how these different cultures are really what the things that makes America great. You know, you want to talk talk about making America great, that's one of those things, it's that diversity. Uh, And so right away, you know, we wanted it to be intrinsic, like so intrinsic to the movie that it wasn't even a conversation. There was no mention. We didn't want to like hang a lantern on it. There isn't some, some, you know, big obvious moment where we wink at the audience. This is just the truth, you know? And, And it's really, we wanted to have that nuanced reflection. And I think Chloe just brought it so beautifully to life in the finished film.
2: Yeah, and right. I, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, just something. That, it's kind of an interesting thing that I was just thinking about this this morning, actually. That how um, a lot of people really love sci-fi movies because you know there's this big mix of all these different creatures all coming together. You know, like you think of a Cantina scene in A New Hope, for example. Like that's part of the fun of it. Of like, look at all these different faces. But it's that's it, and it's so ironic because a lot of times those same people who love those movies for those reasons uh don't recognize that we're a planet here we have a bunch of different people like we are the cantina scene and 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 so a lot of times people don't uh, make that connection and and they're happy to see diversity in their storytelling but don't embrace it in the real world and in their real life and that's kind of a tragic irony that um so i really appreciate uh podcasts like yours that are that are attempting to kind of draw those connections and make those changes for people uh, in their minds. Yeah, it's so
0: true. I mean, I remember, you know, the conversation around the first Star Trek, I mean, I wasn't, wasn't alive, but some of the earlier, you know, projects that were made uh, in, in the Star Trek space, you know, where you had incredible yeah. diversity the time, it was considered shocking, right? In some ways, you yeah. had females such as co-lead and some other characters that were not just white cisgender straight men, but to your point, mm-hmm. like this is a this is a whole nother world and we ourselves are diverse. And so it's it's, it's an irony, I think is really interesting in terms of how people react sometimes and our imaginations can yeah. be. Um, I, I want to dive a little deeper into some specifics in terms of the characters you had here. I mean, you had incredible actors like Camille Johnny, and obviously Chloe Zhao directing, Upping Wright, and Brian Sri Henry, and many, many others. Um, and this project has been hailed for being for its diversity and for its inclusion, specifically around having the first deaf uh, superhero played by uh, the great Lauren Ridloff and, and the first openly gay hero. Uh, which which Brian Three Henry uh, plays and the character has a partner, a same-sex partner in a film. I'll talk a little about those specific pieces, Kaz. If you could start us off on, for example, with Lauren, um, you know, who herself was born deaf to hearing parents, playing Makari, and what was what was that like in terms of developing that character? You know, did you did you talk to folks in the deaf community like her and sort of say, okay, how do we how do we want to portray this authentically and and you know, fairly and accurately?
1: Absolutely, I think just. Truth, you know, is one of those things that we're always striving for in cinemas, even no matter how big your movie is, no matter how small it is, you know, I think that that's a really important part of it. And for us, you know, we really wanted to lean into this idea that like that it was not a disability. This is a superpower. You know, not only is she a superhero, but if you're the fastest character, and let's say, and certainly in our fictional universe, but maybe in the galaxy, um, well, you make sonic booms every time you start sprinting. So to me, it makes yeah. sense. It's sort of, we always had that conversation in the writing room. we like, this is a gift for her because she can still hear you. She can still pick up your vibrations. But really, like. You know, to be taking off and creating these booms, it's a it's a weapon against her enemies. But for her, it's, it's it doesn't affect her at all. Um, and we also obviously just we love to reflect all the different aspects of the world. I think it's really tastefully done. We don't hang a big lantern on it. And with with Brian's character with Fastos, it was something that we knew that there should just be this very human moment. It shouldn't be, you know, this, this like uh, music swells and everything stops to, to reveal it because that's not really what same-sex relationships are. They're just like everything else, they're normal. That's, and that was a big part of it for us was to normalize this conversation, you know, and to really have this whole story and, and, and all these characters be reflected in that way where it was just about truth, you know, and sort of reflecting that accuracy.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was pretty stunning. And Ryan, I want you to add to this, but it's pretty stunning, you know, watching this film in a the theater, you know, being being gay guy, for example, and seeing that representation on screen and then kind of looking around the theater in the dark, like, you know, are people going to run out screaming? or oh, people no. going to, you know, because it wasn't that long ago, of course, even today around yeah. places where these images are, you know, banned or upsetting to, 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 to governments in, in certain parts of the world. So Ryan, yeah. how do you think about the, those, the, that process in terms of, hey, we want to we represent... Yeah.
2: But we don't want to do it, as you said, Kaz, uh, by hanging a lantern. Right. I mean, I think that that's a little bit of the kind of double-edged sword. Like Kaz and I grew up in the Bay Area, and it's a little bit of a double-edged sword in terms of being an artist, because for me in particular, a lot of this, a lot of the diversity has, was normalized for me, you know, it was a normal part of my life. So it, I didn't, it's not necessarily... Uh, so remarkable you know and so then when I'm approaching it as a storyteller I'm not necessarily thinking about like oh we're introducing the first openly gay superhero because to me that's just been a normal part of my world but but it is a really important moment you know and it is a really important thing that that we're doing and so it's it's always um, it's 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 been a, a gift for me to grow up in the in the environment that i that i have but i also have to remain keep awareness that it's not like that everywhere you know and it's not like how everyone is thinking and and think about how i can uh help to contribute to the the evolution really of uh of of um acceptance you know in, in our society
1: movies movies are culture you know they're a huge part of culture and so for a movie like this that we hope that millions and millions and you know hundreds of millions if we're lucky by the end of its run you know we'll see this story and for us to just so calmly and and sort of lovingly present this couple that just is in love and have a child I mean that was such a great gift to offer it was a legacy and and I think that that was something we were very very proud of and and most importantly I mean I remember sneaking into the theater you know opening night on a Thursday night here in LA at the Chinese theater I watched it from the very very back and you know there were a lot of cheers, but I can tell you when when Brian and Haas they have their kiss, it was just like the theater exploded. It was this big eruption, and it really was this moment of saying like, yeah, this is love. Love is love, you know. And and sort of see Disney stand up for that sequence and those characters, and sort of to say like, look, this is the movie. If you don't like it, you know, you don't. That's too bad. That was really a beautiful moment to see that that sort of. That strong stance that they took, um, because that really is like you know movies. Movies are culture, and they help move culture forward. And so to be a part of that conversation in a really big stage, maybe the biggest stage, that was great. It was really a great moment for us.
0: Mm-hmm yeah no I'm looking forward to see that relationship develop and you know and see you know see see where it goes I think it's just really cool to see it as part of a larger milieu and like a larger world that isn't just a gay show or gay movie quote unquote that's um,
1: that's exactly yeah. you know for yeah. me yeah. Was a child yeah. of, of, of you know uh, two women it was just like there's always like that gay TV show, and that's fine, Like, but that's it, it puts it as something other or something different. That's right. the whole point yeah. of this conversation was like, it's not different, it's just love. Mm-hmm. And that was really one of our missions. Of, when you say inclusiveness, it was like, we're trying to normalize love, normalize differences, because when you do walk down the street, you start to realize, you're like, yeah, it, it, this world is pretty different. And that's what's sort of that's one of the big sort of messages of Eternal as a story is that. By coming together and being different, you know that is where our superpowers lie.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely, and I, and I think you did a great job of doing that. I wanted to ask before we kind of move to close in a couple of minutes about of uh, about uh, representation in terms of the actors themselves, because this was, you know, Lauren actually Ridloff commented on this to some extent. Um, where she said, you know, her two boys who are deaf are now going to grow up in a world where there are superheroes who are deaf and it means they'll be able to dream more wildly. Uh, And she's someone who obviously is deaf. You know, I've interviewed folks like Paul Racy, who, you know, from Sound of Metal, whose parents were deaf growing up. So he has real experience when he's playing a character who is using sign language. There's been, you know, controversy in some films of you know, hey, should should only gay actors play gay characters, or trans actors play trans characters? Ryan, maybe I'll start with you. How do you how do you think about that in terms of all right? We want to be you know we want to be representative, but we also want to give opportunities to folks who you know maybe otherwise wouldn't
2: have had the opportunity because they're in a minority community. I mean, I think that just in general, any sort of dogma is not necessarily a good thing you know like a lot of the the reasons that we're in these positions where we are is are because of dogmas you know um so i don't necessarily want to create like um hard and fast rules that must be followed but i would say what i do know is that we need to uh explore a a wider spectrum of characters than we have up to this point in in our mainstream storytelling and we need to give uh, more um, opportunities to a wider spectrum of, of actors and artists than we have up to this point. Yeah, that was
0: sad. Kaz, I wonder if you wanna to add to that in terms of, you know, where are we heading as an industry when it comes to alignment of uh, you know, representation from folks who are trying to break in the industry who are underrepresented and are saying, hey, you know, I don't wanna just be my identity, but I also wanna have a shot Um, How do you think about that you know those those challenges.
1: Yeah, I, I think that in general the idea of inclusivity is about telling the broadest range of stories I think it's never been a better time than now there's never been more movies being made more television shows being made than now. Um, certainly we've watched Hollywood change just in our brief careers here. And so I I really do. We see that change. It's happening slowly. I think all the big changes, we wish we could snap a magic wand or or use Cersei's powers to change it all overnight, but it's not that simple. You know, and I think for us, we've been certainly on the forefront of that change. We're watching it happen. And I think for us, it's really about saying empower people to tell their own stories, but also remember that, you know, stories are, they're stories, they're made up, you know, and I think that's one of the magical things is that you shouldn't, you should be not afraid to have diverse leads that want different things. You shouldn't be afraid to try, you know, new things in your stories to tell new aspects of stories. That's something that for Ryan and I, from the beginning of our careers, you know, it didn't come from a place of saying like, boy, we're really gonna like lift up um, a gay superhero. It's not as dogmatic as that. It's really saying like, we want to give, people new characters with different perspectives because that's fascinating yeah. because there's exciting stories there you know and it's, so it's, it's less about saying like we're going to change the world by doing this it's more about saying from a fundamental standpoint you're going to tell more interesting stories by exploring new subcultures and different people and different races and, and centering different people in your center in your stories it's going to make for yeah. better movies yeah like I totally like it's maybe
2: too philosophical but um I think that the the world and humanity is it, is doing is at its best when the most amount of people are living rich and fulfilling lives and there's so many different types of people uh, in the world and there's so many different um, experiences that you can have that um, that the, if you're exposing yourself and you're being open as open to those things as, as possible that's where you're gonna get the, the the most out of life and that's when then all of us will be lifted up by that.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's so true. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've been in meetings with studios where they said, you know, hey, actually, you know, see, super secret, but our products that are most inclusive, most representative actually do better financially, you know, than, than others, which is, which I'm sure you're not surprised by, but is, is a, yeah. you know, is, a, is, a, is, a, is an interesting fact. The last question I wanted to ask before we close is just, you know, we talk a lot about in our, our podcast and work a lot on the issue of rewriting Hollywood. Changing really the face and, and and the game and the industry to be to be more representative and inclusive and equitable. What advice would you you each share? Maybe in a, in a you know a few words to to folks that are coming up that aren't represented or saying, hey, how, they got they got through that door and got got this you know big opportunity. How can I get something like that? What do I have to what do I have to do or think about to get there? Uh,
1: yeah, I'll, I'll start. I would just say you know you're this is something I, I firmly believe you're always one great project away from being the thing you want to be. You know, I really believe that pretty firmly. It's like you're one great script from being a screenwriter. You're one great short film from being a director. And so don't be afraid to take those chances on yourselves. Nobody else will. There's no incentive for that to happen, you know, and so you really do also need to put in the work. And I think that's something else like screenwriting is one of those very interesting things where because we've all seen so many movies, everyone believes that they can just write a great script their first time. And I can tell you just from both of our experience, we've written dozens of movies And a lot of them are very bad, you know, and that's what gets you to the place where you can confidently write something that's good, that you believe is good. Um, You know, you wouldn't just try to fix uh, the electrical wiring in a house just because you've used lights your whole life. You know, you have to put in the work to do the craft, uh, to learn the craft, you know, and I think that's really the mission is you are one great script away from being that screenwriter you always dreamed of, um, but you have to do the work to do that. And and when you do, there is, you know, maybe it seems absurd, but we didn't have that phone call we could make to our uncle to get us into town but it is you know if you have something great it will find its way it will break through it will reach the top because quality can't be contained you know it's something that everybody wants no matter what and so tell great stories tell great stories that mean something to you Um, and yeah make sure you're telling the stories for yourself because at the end of the day you can't make everyone happy you can't make an audience it's an imaginary audience happy you really have to go and find in yourself like why do you want to tell this story and what do you believe in
0: yeah, I love that, Ryan. What would you add to that? And uh, parting words here for, for folks that maybe are, you know, not seeing themselves reflected in the industry, and are figuring out, hey, I don't have a family connection, I
2: don't have, yeah, education yeah. at What do I do? I think, yeah, just you know, don't don't sell yourself short and don't sell yourself out. You know, just be really true to your voice uh, because voice is really what drives everything in this industry it's what it's what makes people go from undiscovered to discovered and it's what makes movies uh work uh on the final the final screen you know and, and I think that you you don't have to tell stories that are limited to your own perspective you know don't let Hollywood put you into a box you know like you can write movies about anything that you want you know no matter where you come from or who you are or 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 what your um what your background is um so just uh you know just just write a lot of scripts and, and keep and keep working on that voice and try yeah. to block out all the uh all the industry bs because a lot of times it, it is just bs yeah it, it definitely can attest to that
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, again i uh, guess today or er, er, kaz and ryan firpo uh, co-writers of the new film eternals hope everyone checks it out even if you're not a marvel junkie like I am not frankly but I loved the film in, in so many ways because it was different it was representative it was welcoming in the best of senses and so I hope folks will check it out and kudos to Kaz and Ryan for not only making you know a great project but also you know walking the walk on a lot of these issues of inclusion and equity and, and, and representation and in social impact too um so thanks to you both for being on the show it was really a pleasure having you on
1: it was an honor yeah. Jared this is a great one thanks thank so you okay take care
2: Well, we hope you all enjoyed that conversation with Kaz and Ryan Firpo. Please make sure to check out Eternals in theaters today. Also, if you want to know more about Movie Karma, you can visit us at moviekarma.org. That's M-O-V-I-K-A-R-M-A dot org. And you can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook and wherever else you use social media at Movie Karma as well. So, as always, we hope you all stay safe, stay healthy, and stay tuned for our next episode. Rewriting Hollywood was created by Movie Karma and hosted by Jared Milrad. It was produced by Lydia Orndaine and Jermaine Dyson, and our theme music was created by Gerardo Garcia Jr. and Isabel Ingram. Learn more about Movie Karma at moviekarma.org.